Okay, for the next session, please, there shall be no jokes about the graveyard shift or the post-lunch assignment, in particular on a Friday in Cape Town. Um, we have Leon Kempfer here. Leon is the CEO of, of ASISA. And very excited about the message that Leon is about to deliver to us. Um, Leon is a, a serial kind of guy. He is a serial founder of investment businesses. He's done it at least three times. He's a serial director. He's at the, this point in time on at least seven different boards in a, some capacity or another. Um, he's also a serial CEO of South African Investment Associations. Uh, we've at least twice been in, in that situation. And in all cases, these numbers are, of course, uh, open counters. He's also, people that know Leon, that in, in addition to that, he's also a hell of a nice guy, snappy dresser, um, and <laughs> loads and loads of personal energy, and always a very interesting message to deliver. Leon will talk to us today about South Africa and the financial sector, the way forward. Thanks, Leon. Thanks, Krista. Um, good afternoon. I'm impressed. A lot of people after lunch. Uh, I was just talking to some people and said uh, about the serial this and that. I mean, I have to work because my wife said to me she married me for better or for worse, not for lunch. Uh, so I, I keep saying to people it's a, it's a huge privilege at my age to actually be involved in an industry that I love and actually go to work in the morning and actually sit with people where every single day of my life I actually learn something. It is remarkable. So I'm going to share a couple of things with you today. If I want to talk about the industry in the way forward, I think some of you have probably seen this, but allow me a couple of minutes for those who don't know, place a CISA in perspective. Uh, one of my board members, Bernard Fick, is over here. He could probably help me give you a bit of an industry perspective and then deal with the landscape. Uh, our local landscape, the international agenda, the regulatory and policy responses that are emanating from here. And then what we believe is the way forward and leave you with some thoughts uh, at the end of the presentation. Uh, and we had an interesting conversation over lunch. Somebody asked me, when a CISA was formed, did you not lose focus? Uh, the LOA quite clearly had focus on life matters. What we've done over here is we've actually structured in such a way that we work from the board through the various board committees where the subject matter experts sit to deal with issues. There seven board committees, investments, life and risk, marketing and distribution, economic savings policy, reg affairs, transformation skills, development and technical and operations. And they supported by standing committees and work groups. Uh, just some facts. CISA came into being on the 1st of October 2008. Uh, by divine intervention, I suppose, because we were just embarking on the crisis. Replaced the LOA, ACI, IMASA, and LISPA. What's interesting is a CISA membership is at the highest 
appropriate level in the organization. Uh, so the, it's the holding company and where you're part of a bigger group. So APSA Financial Services is the member, Ned Group Investments, Investec Asset Management, because the rest of their groups are members of the Banking Association. We have 112 members, and for the first time ever, one institution, one vote for the voting members. There are obviously non-voting members, which are the associates and the affiliates. Board, only the most senior executive, if your institution's represented on the board, and we have a staff of 30 uh, that support the activities. The seven board committees, I've alluded to it, 40 standing committees, work groups supported by the CISA staff, and a great thank you to our members who also have day jobs, but over the last couple of years we've had 1,200 individuals from our member organisations serving on the various committees and work groups. And then we have what we call Foster the Future, byline where we have the Academy and more about that, the Enterprise Development Fund and the Foundation later. And then to keep abreast, we are, we are members of the International Investment Funds Association, uh, which has direct links into IOSCO. Uh, that organization has a regulatory affairs, etc., that deals straight with IOSCO. Uh, we're a member of the Global Federation of Insurance, which deals with the insurance supervisors. Together with National Treasury, we're part of the OECD task group on infrastructure, and we're a member of the International Forum for Investor Education. The industry in perspective. I know you actuaries, now don't add this up, I like rounding up. Okay? We also found that the industry likes rounding up. Because when we got all the information, everybody told us they were managing X, and when we started levying fees, we found out it was a lot less. <laughs> so about 5.9 trillion, what we call in the regulated space. Private portfolios, unless you delve through the Reserve Bank quarterly reports, we don't have a proper handle on. But as CISA members manage about 5.8 trillion of that 5.9 trillion. And if you ask me, but how is that possible, what about the GPF? I have to tell you the PIC is a member of a CISA. The landscape. I mean, we all battling and I think our industry is probably one of the better ones, but we're battling in the context of pressure. On the one hand, we have what happened overseas, the international financial crisis, which led to the formation of the G20, the Financial Stability Board, and the pressures emanating from there for more and more and more regulation. Uh, and just on a lighter note, it's very difficult to engage with your policymaker and your regulator when five years later the very guys who actually caused the crisis are now rigging the LIBOR rate in London. You know, it doesn't make for a nice conversation because the view then is everybody in the financial sector is a crook. 
The national agenda is the national development plan, and it's quite interesting. In spite of what the unions say, etc., etc., it is one of two, th two pieces of paper that have gone through Parliament that was unanimously accepted. The first was the Constitution, and the second was the National Development Plan. And then we have, in brackets, the political agenda. We keep hearing about prescribed assets, the private sector is not doing enough, and we keep hearing about nationalization, uh, especially nationalizing the seas. Uh, and sitting in the middle of this are, are the people that regulate and guide our industry, National Treasury, Saab, the FSB, and obviously the financial sector and the CISA members. G20, <clears throat> Financial Stability Board, South Africa is a member. They want global policy alignment, they want peer review. There's a cost belonging to this club. Unfortunately. And you all know it. I'm just going to Basel three Solvency two in Europe now. Capital buffers for money market funds that want to have constant NAV. In France and Germany, they've banned them, which comes back to shadow banking. Uh, big, big focus now on structures. Uh, what's happened internationally is some of the opaque structures that were there prior to the crash have now been given an air of legitimacy and they're now just listed. So there's big hedge fund regulation, rating agencies, OTCs. Market conduct, we're all aware of it. Disclosure and transparency, product regulation internationally, simplification, big issue around performance fees especially in open-ended funds, uh, other fees, dark pools, high-frequency trading. That's kind of the agenda. <clears throat> no secret, our response, we're going to go to a Twin Peaks regime. We saw the enabling legislation and, you know, it, conceptually it's a good thing the devil is in the detail, and currently, if they progress along the way, they're suggesting we're going to have a mess. And that's our role, together with other associations, to deal with those issues. Sam, we're all aware of it, hedge funds. And it's interesting, uh, you will be aware that we've been working with Treasury and FSB for quite some time. And we're just about done. Uh, it will be in regulation probably in the next couple of months. Uh, regulated products for hedge funds under Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. A retail one and for professional investor one. And I have to say we'll be a world, world first there. Rating agency, they've, that's come and gone. And then obviously OTCs we're working on. And then there's retirement fund reform, which is part of our Red Book process. Some of you in the room are involved in that. On the other side, there's treating customers fairly, costs and fees raising its head again, disclosure and remuneration review. And on the side, we have another agenda, which is we've got to grow our economy, we've got to create jobs, etc., etc. So we're all kind of feeling a bit pressurized. 
At the CISA board meeting, Bernard Xavier, we, the board agreed that the CISA strategy going into the future in everything we do and where we engage with and on behalf of our members that we should drive all the initiatives to align or support the National Development Plan. And in actual fact, there are many other activities but isolated four major imperatives. Retirement reform, access, inclusion. I mean, the papers have been put out by Treasury. There's a lot of debate going on. It has to go to NEDLAC, but the idea is over time is to have preservation, compulsion, consolidation, which in its own right can drive down costs. Inclusion, simplification, and access. And there, together with the labor unions, all three labor confederations have approved it. Some of you in the room are on the task teams. We've, we've scoped the concept of the Vulnerable Workers Fund. I'm not going to go into the technical details. But it's mind-blowing. Labor have bought in. Treasury have now bought in. It's been to NEDLAC, and Labor are now the ones convening the technical teams to make it happen. Uh, if it flies, we could include 6.5 million additional workers. Agriculture, domestics, parts of the construction sector, hospitality, etc., etc., uh, and it will be collaborative and competitive from our members' point of view. And if, if we can pull this off, you know, it, it is our industry's Trojan horse, uh, because then I think the NSSF will start receding even further into the background. Uh, we've got the Fundisa product, which hopefully you're familiar with. Uh, government put in 20 million, industry put in. If you save for tertiary education, for every rand you save at the end of the year, you get a 25% subsidy paid for by government and industry's contribution for tertiary education. Never gets paid out in cash, it gets paid to the institution where you save. It's been so successful, there's been such participation that we're kind of running out of money. So we now want Treasury to help, and we're taking it into the corporates as potentially something that they can introduce into the bargaining units. The means test is 180,000 per family per annum to qualify. Uh, we're working with the banks and with Treasury on a Fondisa concept for housing. And then there's a lot of talk about default products, simplification, etc. and I'll come back to that later. But in terms of the NDP, it aligns with the thing is that we've got to increase inclusion and savings. Infrastructure is the other big one that's been asked. So that's where we hear about prescribed assets. Our industry is not doing enough. Well, it's our industry's own fault. And, and now we've got the numbers and we've given them to everybody. In terms of paper issued by state-owned enterprises, etc., etc., that are dealing with infrastructure, our members own 960 billion rands worth of paper. 
specific projects, particularly in the renewable energy space, 70 billion odds being spent. The, the, the problem statement is, is that if you've got a 4.2 trillion infrastructure program over the next number of years, you can't fund that all with borrowed money. So what we're saying is we must create infrastructures or be innovative to create products to make money flow. You will know if you're an active equity manager and your mandate's to manage active equity, even if you manage a lot of money. You can't invest in infrastructure projects uh, other than take listed paper if you've got a balanced fund. So we managed to get a task team convened, chaired by Treasury, and in the task team is the public, uh, the Presidential Infrastructure Coordinating Commission, uh, representative of the state-owned enterprises, the DFIs, Labour's present, ourselves and the banks, to find ways to accelerate infrastructure spend, put the pressure on to have bankable projects, and find conduits for money to flow. And as part of this, we coordinated one-on-ones with each one of our members, with the government delegation to talk this through, uh, from there, we drew up a diagnostic, which has gone to the minister, and we're now in the second round of one-on-ones with the government delegation, with our members, to see if we can get clever to make infrastructure funding easier and more accessible. Third one, SA Financial Centre. This has been on Treasury shopping list for a long time and nothing's happened. So through our various teams within ASISA, the first thing we dealt with was the inward listers. I don't know if you're familiar, but Treasury got a report from CREFSA, London School of Economics, which said anything that's domicile is outside of South Africa and as primary listings out of South Africa should be deemed foreign. And the institutional fund manager could only buy that with their foreign allowance. After much debate, we managed to convince everybody that that was really very stupid. So if you list here, you trade in rands, you settle in rands, and you hold in the local CSD, you're local. So you'll recall BTI, all of them came back into the index. Now, it's weird. I mean, I thought that the principle had been established. Now we've got to go through all of this again with other instruments, but we're working on it. Uh, tax, we're looking at tax. Uh, the good news is, the bad news is Keith Engel left Treasury. The good news is with Ernest and Young. Ernest and Young are a member and Keith's now on our tax committees. And his job at ENY is to look at tax here and into Africa, tax alignment, etc., etc. Uh, exchange control. Uh, the, the, the good news over there is both Saab and Treasury are engaging. We've done a lot of work and we've commissioned a lot of research. And maybe exchange control is the wrong word because there's no one country in the world that doesn't have some form 
of regulation there, whether you call it prudential or capital controls, etc. What we're just saying is, as a collective, what can we do to make business easier for us and into Africa specifically? Uh, you will have seen in the budget like the, the refund headquarter regime, which is now allows you two billion of ops capital that you can ship and the new foreign members fund. Now what we're doing at the moment is we're also organizing one-on-ones with all our members, Saab and Treasury, to actually plot the way forward. So if, for example, if one of our members has a structure in Cayman, okay, take money from here into Cayman, come back in Africa or Mauritius, why? Is there any reason why it can't be done differently and government Saab, Treasury have to hear from the horse's mouth. We were in New York, uh, and last year we were hosted by UBS, and a delegation went from South Africa to state the investment case for South Africa to the Wall Street suits. Now, it's not often you arrive in America on the front foot, eh? because they were just about shutting their government down at the time. So it was... Anyway, one of the things that came out of the discussions is the guys turned around to us and said, if you give us regulated product in your domicile, aimed at South Africa and Africa, we'll bring the money. Not one, a number. Uh, we're working on market infrastructure, which you are aware of. Uh, we will, we've worked with Treasury, the banks, and all our members. There will, in due course, be a fixed interest trading platform within the JSC, run by the JSC, and it will start off with government bonds, so that you have proper price discovery, depth of market, etc., and we will ultimately migrate that for other bonds. T plus three. A uh, lot of work being done to put the trade cycle for equities to T plus 3. Uh, there, there is some misunderstanding. Uh, you know, T plus 3 internationally is not all that it's cracked out to be, eh? because you can roll by mutual agreement to the two parties. You can roll the transaction. And that's why you can do naked short selling. T plus 5 in South Africa was contractual. Nonetheless, we're moving to T plus 3, and we are busy working together with Saab, etc., and the FSB about an OTC register and some central counterparty to all OTCs. And then Africa, uh, Treasury have actually set up an Africa desk. They've got a chief director in charge of the Africa desk. And they will be involved in these discussions. And within ASISA and the board and the EXCO, there's talk about maybe we should set up an F Africa desk too, because a lot of our members are all over Africa. So in aligning to the NDP, it's hopefully attract capital, develop markets, onshoring and creating jobs here. Foster the future about education and development. Now, the academy, and many of you have played a huge role, pro bono. Uh, 
because the beauty of the academy is it's CETA accredited and, and UCT now have endorsed all the courses. So it's academically rigorous, but the lectures are delivered by industry professionals. 350 professionals out of the industry over the last number of years have given their time freely to deliver lectures to the candidates in the academy. And then we got to work readiness. We went to the major universities and said to them, in the context of business science, can't talk about anything. The product you delivering into our industry is not work ready. Can we engage with you at the undergraduate level? They turned around and said to us, we want to keep our academic independence. So I don't know if you're familiar with a little university called CIBA. It's in mutual, Old Mupine, where the mutual staff, right next to the mutual campus. It's got about 400 students, been going for eight years. It's got a basic BA administration for the poorest of the poor. It's funded by business. And in those eight years, they've had five Rhodes Scholars. We went to them and said, can we work with you? They said, absolute pleasure. And we introduced a couple of electives into the BA admin degree where the kids came into the academy. Of the 14 who chose that elective, all 14 are internships with our members and all 14 will have jobs. Subsequently, some of the major universities have now phoned us back and said, can we work with you? Uh, we're running the Caritas program, which is the admin CFA. And the CFA Institute is very happy for the academy to run that. So we've put 3,000 people through the academy in the last four years. But interestingly, just to refer back to Africa desk, I walked into a session in Joburg where we were running some academy courses, and in the room was the regulator from Namibia, from Botswana, and from Burundi. Paid their own way to Joburg to attend the courses. The CISA Foundation, our members created that, put money into it, and it's to fund consumer financial literacy and also trustee training. We're now embarking on the first. We've identified a huge project in Hamans Kral uh, where we will move in uh, with consumer financial literacy as a pilot project. And then I'll come back to e and we'll piggyback some of the work that the ED Fund's doing on the back of it. Uh, the Board of Trustees of the Foundation are representative of all the people that sit at the Financial Sector Charter Council, Government, Labour, Community. Enterprise Development Fund. Also, an CISA initiative supported our members, put money into the fund. Uh, at the same time, we consolidated the industry database into one big area. And the whole idea over there is you do supply chain development, and we've started with Sunlum and one or two of our other members. You identify, you put business development support in, you incubate, and then you try and get them investment ready. And already in six months, we've had the most amazing results. A little business started by a family called Waste Want. Uh, doesn't take waste to the landfill, recycles. We put people in, rejigged them. Within six months, I employed 14 extra people straight out of the shelters. 
They're now investment ready. We've invested in them, the ED fund, and we're going to take them post-investment post development. So on a seven-year cycle. So we've now made four investments in the ED fund, and there's about another six in the pipeline. But it makes it quite unique because you target the supply chain, you introduce the person into the rest of the CISA member supply chain, which means you lower your risk because you're already procuring. So you can work with them to make them better and then ultimately invest. And uh, real gardening. I don't know, Claire, conceive the most unbelievable uh, townships, malnutrition, not a lot of water, designed and scoped paper. Uh, don't ask me the technical details. Highly labor intensive. Little pockets in the paper and in there you put the seed and the right nutrient. And you, that's why it's called, it's a real. I've seen it growing in shopping baskets. I've seen it on a township circle with pumpkins this size. So in Haman's Kral, you do adult literacy, school feeding scheme, and you get, the, you get the community to become entrepreneurial and grow. And we've already lined up Woolworths and Unilever. And it, it has to have high social impact because some of you were involved. We did the studies, Stellenbosch UCT. Even if we grow our economy at 7-8%, and even if we do all the infrastructure spend, the ability of our economy to absorb the current unemployed that are ill-educated, etc., almost zero. You'll just create jobs for semi-skilled and skilled. The only way you do this is you have to create it through small business development, high social impact and high labor impact. Okay, some thoughts going forward. I mean, I'm, I've been very privileged to be in this industry for a long time, and I, I wouldn't be if I didn't think it was a fantastic industry. But I'm also getting a little bit tired of sitting at dinner parties and hearing that your industry is opaque. It's complicated. There's no transparency. I don't know what I'm getting for what I'm paying. I don't understand the products. <laughs> and that's... The one point. And the other point is we must accept that policymakers and regulators have very good reason to be a little bit skeptical. You know, the cowboy capitalism that led to the crash, you know, capitalism won't survive if that pertains into the future. And capitalism is the best system. But you've got to have capitalism that's with a social conscience. And our industry's big challenge is to be innovative. A little bit off the wall, but simple. You don't have to be complicated to be clever. So there's talk in Treasury about platforms and default products. Fine. Our view is that the platform should be run by industry for industry. And you can have default products on there that qualify to be on the platform. And the beautiful way to do it is to take it out of the hands of the politicians or the government. Financial Sector Charter Council is there. It's a combination of labor, community. We've taken 12 years 
to get to a stage where we trust one another. Make that the governing body. Regulated product. We've already got a magnificent collective investment schemes industry. We're now going to do hedge funds there. Why can't we do private equity, venture capital, and infrastructure there? Why can't you have a pillar with your own rules and Mr. and Mrs. South Africa can actually invest in infrastructure for their country? I don't know. Kind of looks reasonable idea to me. And then finally, a thought that over time, and I'm involved in tax meetings and stuff where four funds approach and yeses. Why can't we in future, with the right capital, run all pure investment products through CIA structures? I'll just leave that thought with you. So, flight, flight, my story is eight. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to answer questions. Uh, oh, is that part of the draw? Definitely. Private equity. So what they're saying is we actually like your regulatory regime as much as we sometimes bitch about the FSB. But generally, we're, we're, we're quite a sought-after domicile. Forget about the politics. Now, they're just saying, uh, some of them told us that they have had some very bad experiences in some of the Africa funds from elsewhere. And they just said to us, if you create a regulated product in your domicile aimed at Africa, we're comfortable with you guys. We know you know Africa. We'll bring the money. Okay. Uh, in the store, I mean, have you guys done any work in trying to rope in the, 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 the stock fell market. I mean, the number's about, they say 25, some will say 40, 43 billion a year. Uh, it's highly unregulated, they inefficient in the way they're managing the money. Uh, they could learn a lot from uh, what ASISA is doing. Has there we, been any initiatives there? We have, we've had, we've had some discussions uh, with, name slips me now, is the Stock Fell Association. But obviously doesn't, and, and, and through the vulnerable workers thing, and we were looking at cell phone technology and all of that together with this, uh, we met with, I didn't know they existed, the Street Traders Association. So we're taking the steps small as small. It's a very disparate and diverse market that, but you know, I, the, the view is once you have something on the table that works for some and it's good, the others will come. Uh, we took all the unions with, and I'm not for one minute saying we're copying what they do, we took them to Kenya to look at their PESA, etc. Uh, it's great, it also has flaws, it's expensive, and we didn't want to go that route because we didn't w want the cell phone companies to actually own the record. You're disintermediating yourself. So we're working with BankServe. And please don't ask me the technicalities because I'm a techno peasant. But the clever oaks tell me they're working with BankServe to create an interface into cell phone technology and all of that that can push money and pull money. And just have to take my word for it. I don't understand it. I really don't. 
Uh, but there are one or two guys in the room that were probably on the task team that could probably explain it to you later on. I'll just take their word for it. Thanks, Leon. Next question. Sorry, I don't have any questions, but just in terms of your comments, uh, I might make enemies out of people here, but <clears throat> um, investing, I mean, using CIS as a structure to invest private equity, venture capital, and hedge funds, it's, it's very difficult because CIS has unit pricing regulations. And the way unit prices are calculated for those other asset classes, it's very difficult. Um, so that's the reason why we like to put them in, in life wrappers, essentially. Uh, they don't meet the, C, the, the CIS requirements in terms of unit pricing. Then with regards to infrastructure funds, um, you've got to ask yourself whether it's an efficient method to use the private savings market as a way to finance infrastructure. Because typically, infrastructure is something that's built for maybe 40 years. Can you sell a 40-year bond or a 30-year bond? It's very difficult. On top of that, um, bond yields are low compared to the equity risk premium. So when you're saving for retirement, you want to get the biggest bang for your buck. So you tend to go into equities. And the last time I checked, about 90% of retirement assets are invested in asset classes other than bonds. So you've got a real problem in trying to attract investment into infrastructure. Uh, so I would think your best bet would be to speak to economists and to look at other ideas like social security. And social security also eliminate some of the other problems, such as cost effectiveness, especially in the low income market. If you look at certain companies like, uh, sorry, I don't want to mention names, but there are insurance, big insurance companies out there with extremely high reduction in yields, talking 10%, basically eliminates. So, so is that, are, are, you, are you finishing your question or are you? I'm responding to, you, yeah, yeah. to, to your comments. And you've asked a couple of questions. If you want to, let me just answer them and then you can carry on before I forget what your questions were. Okay. Firstly, you said CIS structures don't allow. Yeah. I think you missed the point a little bit. Collective Investment Schemes Control Act is umbrella legislation. Within that, you can create a pillar with its own rules and regulations. Part bonds are governed by the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Property unit trust. That's the beauty of the hedge fund. The hedge fund pillars, it makes it visible. And you can have the rules as to how you price, when you invest, and when you disinvest. So you can do exactly the same with private equity. You understand that if you're in there, you're in there for the long haul, etc., etc. But you, it brings it with the hedge funds coming out of unregulated space into regulated space, visible. That industry will grow. You can do exactly the same for private equity. Coming back to infrastructure, the point I made is that currently our members, in fact, have 960 billion worth of paper. That's fine. What I'm saying, or we collectively saying in the task teams we've put up with Treasury, with all of them, is that ultimately the way our economy is structured, government owns the SOEs, right? So you can't invest in the equity of the SOE. 
So they raise capital. And they think that's not going to impact the state's balance sheet. Of course it will one day. If Eskom falls over, where does that debt go sit? So all we're saying is create projects so that we can fund those projects through all the asset classes. If I've got a big annuity book, a life annuity book, I'm not talking about investment stuff. I mean, if I've got a 30-year really good project where the returns are inflation-linked, what better than that to link behind my annuity book? That's all we're saying. Well, I guess with, with, in terms of the unit trust, the, the issue is then, the only issue I can see is that your smoothing technology is basically destroyed. Um, the, beg your pardon? Smoothing. Yeah, look, I'm going to leave that to the actuaries to yeah. figure out. All I'm, saying, all I'm saying is if the collective brains can come up with a solution, which says, just let's make one fundamental statement. Do we need infrastructure? Absolutely. Can we build all the infrastructure with borrowed money? Never. I mean, somebody's got to pay it back. So what you've got to do is you've got to look at projects where you can finance the project, the project, through various asset classes. It could be a convertible debenture, it could be a PREF, it could be equity. And decide who takes the risk, where government shares in the risk, etc., etc. I mean, the, the principle, the clever oaks can work out how we do it. You know, what, but what we've got to do is free up money to flow. There are a lot of very big investment managers that would want to invest in infrastructure but their mandates don't allow them to. So you have to create a structure for them to invest in which is within their mandate. And for the rest, the smoothing, how we do it, yes, all I say in this room. Leon, thank you very much indeed. As always, definitely a very worthwhile session, a message worth listening to. Thank you for spending a Friday afternoon with us. It's a small um, uh, table of actuarial formulae. Thank you.